can't believe how bad the jet lag I get is the first thing I want to say about this. The um, Certainly the first few days in Orlando were horrendous um, with multiple sort of coffees exchanged at 3 a.m. It's pretty bad. See, it would have been fine because I would have been asleep apart from you two making such a racket in the living room that I couldn't sleep. Still, so that's like, why were you forcing your jet lag on me? It was also quite exciting though, wasn't it? So as soon as you heard someone rumbling around, you sort of wanted to get up and get on with the day. Yeah, 2.30 a.m. club. Exactly. That's basically what it was. Yeah. So we've been to the PGA show, uh, which is, I guess we should begin at the beginning and explain what it is. Um, so it's a trade show and its function is for all of the golf brands, big golf brands, small golf brands, weird and wonderful golf brands, hardware, apparel, footwear, technology, you name it, all under one roof in a massive convention centre on International Drive in Orlando. Uh, and all of those brands are there to sell their gear uh, for the coming season to an awful lot of PGA pros from around America. Uh, so that's what it is. Uh, and it ends up serving as kind of a, a season kickoff for the golf industry as a whole. Um, so I'm not saying anybody who's anybody from the golf industry is there, but an awful lot of uh, people from all walks of life in the golf industry meet up last week of January every year to get their get their house in order for the coming season. And we went on mass, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, four of us. That was quite big. Yeah. But how many have you been before? Um, I went on my own last year, which was a very unpleasant experience. It was kind of post-apocalyptic, COVID-stricken show where all of the things that normally happen at a PGA show were still there waiting for the people, but the people didn't come. Um, and this year it was back to its kind of former glories and it was a really busy and productive show. Um, and it'll be good to, I think, get stuck into today about uh, our week there because it's it's pretty amazing week, I think, um, kind of full on. Um, lots of golf played, lots of golf balls hit, lots of new product tested and uh, seen for the first time. Um, and we started our week at Sawgrass, which was uh, a bit of a privilege. You've never been before, Jack, have you? I've never been. The whole place, you're sort of walking around with your eyes wide open, trying to take it all in. Um, there's obviously a lot of history on show in the clubhouse, which is a nice touch, isn't it? And um, the practice facilities are amazing, but you sort of, you could just sit here and talk about how amazing the whole place is. Have you ever been to, what's your sort of major venue track record? Like how many major venues have you been and played at? Only open venues. And how many of them have you been to? Most of them apart from Muirfield and Troon. Right. And you? Then, by I've been to Troon, but not Muirfield for obvious reasons. Um, there's something very, so Sawgrass is in Pontevedra, which is about two and a half hours north of Orlando. Um, so the first thing you've got this kind of like American road trip feel where the whole thing just sort of feels like you're in a film, doesn't it? I always get that feeling in America. I thought we were going to die in the car that night. I'm like, oh. it, it was good. It was, as the sun was setting, we were cruising on the international drive, listening to some tunes. It was great. Yeah, you sort of have to get your, uh, what's that, um, fly away on my Zephyr song. You, you get your sort of okay. dad tracks on, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Having a good sing-along up there, weren't we? For context, we'd just done a full flight and then Tom was trying to drive there while staying awake. Yeah. It's fine. Stopped okay. off. We did all the right things. We stopped off at a Publix and bought a load of snacks. It was pretty good. Got yet more coffee. 
And I think that that sort of um, that sort of film set feel. Um, I've been to Sawgrass, I think, three times. Um, and I started trying to write about it last night. And you have this sort of, it just all feels so familiar. That's what I think. And you kind of feel like you've been there before, even though you maybe haven't. Or you feel like you sort of know your way around because you've seen it so many times on TV. Um, I guess that's the sort of benefit of going back to the same venue every year, right? Yes. And also the fact it was just such a good golf course. Well, I didn't recognise as much as it from TV as I thought I would. Really? Yeah. But I guess it's just, I don't know, it feels different to actually play a golf course and look at it. And a lot of the angles you would see on the TV are not what you're actually seeing when you play in it. Yeah. And like some of the holes, it made so much more sense, like why people struggle on certain holes because of like you can actually see the topography and the slopes and how awkward the trees are positioned and stuff like that. Yeah. The um, so if we sort of begin at the beginning, like the clubhouse experience, I think is bonkers. Like it's this, it's just an absolute. You can't really describe the scale of the clubhouse. Can no, you? no, it's massive. It's more like the size of like a a big Marriott hotel in it. Yeah. It's just gigantic. Um, and they've got some really cool players memorabilia. Um, so they've got uh, each winner of the players um, donates a, a golf club to the clubhouse, which has helped them win. Um, so you've got like McRoy's driver. What else have you got? That Tiger's three wood was there. Cam Smith's pitching wedge, I think, from the 70, 17th tee shot. Not the one where he chipped into the water. No. Cooch's iron that he hit on 17 as well, I think. So that's pretty neat, isn't it? That was very cool. And you can actually get your hands on it like, and touch it and feel it. At, at um, Hoylake, they've got all the similar sort of thing. It's all in like a glass case. You can't, I don't think you can see it. Where it was quite nice to like touch Tiger's three wood, as pervy as that sounds. Yeah. We made the mistake of eating breakfast there, didn't we, or lunch there on the first day. Um, Cost absolute fortune. We'll be doing that again. Never again. No. I think it was $160 for our... How nice was your food though? It was pretty good, yeah. I mean, yeah, I just feel like I'm still going to be paying my credit card off by next Christmas. You didn't buy any clothes in the shop. How much were your clothes? What did you buy? I like spent a, a onesie or something. $215 in the shop. On a, on a shirt and a skirt. I think it's called a scored. A scored it is. Sorry. Get, get the parlance, please. Uh, so then you've you've got you've then also got these kind of PGA Tour class practice facilities, and I always think that when you go to these places, people always say, "Oh, practice footage are amazing." You get there, it's a bit kind of is it a bit patchy, not great golf balls, nothing to aim at. Is the short game area really all that? And Sawgrass is sort of the ident. It's like I don't know. It's like something that if you were kind of drawing your dream practice facility. Then yeah. that's what you draw. I mean, we didn't see half of it, did we? Because the the actual players' bits, like at the bottom end of the range, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what I thought was really cool was they had two practice short game areas, didn't they? One for both courses, and they were both greens were at different stints, and yeah. like the condition of it was totally different. It was. Um, Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we on the first day where we played Dice Valley, we went over and did some chipping and putting around the Dice Valley chipping and putting green. Greens were rapid. Though. Greens were like 12 and a half on the stimp and they were crazy and then the day after we played the stadium course and the greens were a bit slower the short game area greens reflected what they were going to be like out there why do you think the greens were slower on the stadium because they're saving them they're over i think they're overseeing them aren't they with rye grass so it's green and the grass is alive where on the 
dice values or dormant, so they were just ironing them. Well, that was a very, very stark difference, wasn't it? So yeah. players has moved from uh, what is slot in May, when obviously the growth has got going, and even though we're in kind of Florida, it's still the middle of winter, right? Yeah. Um, so we play Dice Valley's course on the Saturday, which is the second course at uh, Sawgrass, and it's the, the grass was just dead. Um, I, I guess if you've never really experienced that, it's quite an odd thing to describe, but the, the, basically the grass hasn't started growing. Yeah, it's all brown. So it's, yeah, so it has a kind of very out of season feel. It's like perfectly playable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just visually a bit odd. And what makes it even weirder is that because the players is now in this um, March slot, they've obviously got to make sure that the course is ready for the season. So it's just, it's um, manicured within an industry's life, isn't it? It's unbelievably green. Yeah. They've obviously overseeded it. They've obviously put some chemicals on it. Yeah. It's like visually just totally different. Yeah, it was like being a like a different venue in a different world, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And the, 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 there was basically no rough on Dyes Valley because it's dead, but the rough on the stadium course was so thick, so juicy already, that you sort of think in March it would just be absolutely brutal. Yeah, the, the rough is odd, isn't it? Because, I mean, it wasn't wet, but it kind of had that sort of saggy, sticky sort of, yeah. feel, definitely. Yeah. Um, so you kind of, I don't know, I, I when I used, when I, first started in the golf industry and you get to go to these kind of special places that you don't get to go to very often certainly never had before I worked in golf I used to I used to hate I used to get so help because you're just desperate to have sort of good memories aren't you of um of, of, of going there and you really want to say oh I played sawgrass and I shot something sensible when you get back uh, I don't know whether it's like lowering testosterone levels of age or whatever, but I do feel much more relaxed now and you sort of just enjoying being there because it is such a privilege. Um, so then we get to the first tee and we've got uh, a four caddy, Connor. Nice lad. Hopefully Connor, we should send Connor there, shouldn't we? We should. I think Connor had a night out the night before. He, yeah, he only admitted that though later after we got to know him and he was a bit more comfortable with us, but he was out the night before and apparently not in a good spot stood with us on the first tier. Mm. Uh, and the purpose of his going was to try and uh, shoot a vlog for Hannah's YouTube channel. Um, first one we'd done and we were trying to, it was quite an intense experience because it was, it was just Hannah, so it was every shot Hannah hit at Sawgrass. And Connor had set that his challenge of trying to break 80 off effectively the men's tee. So we played it at about 6,400 yards. Uh, you didn't like it, did you? It was very stressful. It was it's like you complained about wanting to shoot a good score when you go into these places. And then I have to do it with like five cameras following us around. Yeah. As if that's fun. But it was quite an, it was quite an intense watch because... I don't know, it felt like watching someone play a tournament round, really, because you were clearly, like, very concerned about what you were scoring. I feel like it was worse as well, because I'd never been there, so I had no idea what was going on. I was playing this course, I was trying to appreciate it, and I was trying to play good and talk to the camera. It was just, like, too much going on at once. Yeah, I can sort of see that. We, I mean, all, all the, I don't know about you, but I felt so invested in the, <laughs> in the score and the story that I found it, you know... It's almost like, like you say, it was like watching a tournament where you just like, someone hits a shot and you're desperate for to, to find the green, please go close, oh my god, don't three put again, sort of thing. It was, uh, I, I found it really hard. I've never played a round of golf rocks so on eggshells, I didn't know what to do with myself. It, it was like, it was like basically watching a, a round from inside the road, yeah, what I felt like. Yeah, definitely, yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was great. 
it was really intense but I thought it was great yeah I just felt like I was ruining the experience for everyone else like three of us haven't been there before and the moment everyone's having to run around me hitting shots no 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 we had a great time watching you make a mess of it it was good I don't think we should give too much away about the score or how it all worked out in Hannah's quest to break 80 uh, at Sawgrass because you can watch the video and it's a cool video um, what uh, were there any holes that stuck out that was sort of surprising to you? But was the golf course what you expected? Every hole was really good, wasn't it? Like you obviously know all the signature holes, but like every hole was just as good, pretty much. I liked the tenth; that was really cool, wasn't it? Like, oh, it's brilliant! Absolutely brilliant! Yeah. Yeah, which I wouldn't have been able to tell you about that hole before I went. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing, the whole place is an absolute fascination. So it's built on a swamp, right? So the whole thing is like a sort of miracle of engineering in the first place. Um, and I think it's quite a unique major venue because it's kind of unencumbered by. Um, so it's got it's obviously got a huge players players legacy. I don't know how many years it's been there. I'm going to guess at 25. Um, Not more than that. Jack Nicklaus won there. Did he? Yeah. Okay, so let's guess at 35. It's been there a long time, but it's not, it hasn't quite got the same, um, it's not encumbered by that history in the same way that some open venues are. So they've the 12th hole, for example, at Sawgrass, they basically ripped up and started again. You two might not even remember this because it was kind of six or seven years ago, so you were probably out clubbing or something. Yeah. Um, but I can't. So that used to be uh, a kind of medium length part four with a big lump on the left hand side. So you just played out to the right of this lump and then wedged it on. And they've now turned it into this incredible risk and reward par four, but it's kind of unrecognisable from what it was before. It's got water and bunkers on the left, on it, and yeah. you can easily um, short, uh, run out of room on the right into the trees. But it's a brilliant, brilliant um, risk and reward four now. But you can't, you couldn't do that anywhere else. I don't think if you talk, if you think about our historic major venues, they can't just say, "No, oh, we think the 13th August is now outdated, so we're going to move the tee and put it near the 12th green because people would like throw their arms in the air, so you can't do that. Yeah. Um. So the the PJ have moved it back loads, haven't they? For this year? They've moved it back. They haven't they 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 the whole hole. They yeah, okay. They've just they're, what they're trying to do actually is by moving it back is retain the hole's integrity just to make up for modern equipment. Whereas at Sawgrass, they seem to have this flexibility to say actually we think we can improve this, so we're gonna we're gonna do it. Um. So I think that makes it unique, and it's like the same thing here. They can't change the postage stamp. They can't go off. The green's a bit small because like people go mental. Yeah. And, like look like the, the green same. is a bit small. Yeah, yeah. and the, like, the old course is probably the best example, isn't it? It just is what it is, right? Yeah. They're not going to fundamentally yeah. change it, but Sawgrass yeah. do 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 that. Um, and I guess I would speak for someone who doesn't particularly like park and golf or that sort of US style of golf, but Sawgrass is it's a it's a case apart. Like you played uh, Disney on Monday. Yes. I played um, Tranquilo. I played Tranquilo and I played uh, Orange Tree, both of which are brilliant golf courses. Tranquilo, particularly, is much more what you'd expect. It's kind of open and Sawgrass is not that. It, it, you can sort of see why um, some players rate it. Some players don't don't particularly like it because it does it does suit a shaper, doesn't it? Def- oh, it's. Um... It's not like any other course in America I've ever played. Yeah. Where my sort of general experience is, like you say, wide open, big, fast greens. and But the greens are the challenge and the rest of it is just there. Yes. Where at Sawgrass, like, every single shot on the back nine asks a really interesting question, doesn't it? It, it was, it just 
there's nothing bad about the back nine. It was amazing. Yeah. But, Definitely should have hit one or three woods for the short shaping situation. But, but, and, well, and there's like, quite a lot of holes so that forced you to shape it, isn't it? Yeah. Which um, doesn't suit everybody, certainly. So. Um, well, that tenth hole is an absolute jacker, definitely, and it's one that sort of sticks sticks in their memory. But the back back nine is just rock and roll in it. Every single hole is like you can make any score. Basically. Yeah, yeah, oh, it was crazy. It was really good. Tell me about it. Yeah, I think the sixteenth is like an absolute all time as well. I mean, that's that's not exactly breaking news, but it's it is brilliant. Brilliant. The Eleven as a par five is really good, isn't it? Because it's short, but the, you can't miss that green because. You've got this crazy bunker shot that goes wraps all the way around it. And you think you can imagine playing that in a tournament. You think you have to make birdie there, right? Yeah. So you've got to get your tee shot away. You've got to then you've got to then take the second shot on. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of brings its own pressures, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, hope we can go back again in the future and hopefully you'll enjoy watching the vlog. Um, so we did that, uh, which was work. Yeah. Didn't yeah, all work. I was gonna say it didn't feel like work, but it did. It did. It felt it like, definitely felt like work. It did for me. It felt it like, like a week of work in a day. Felt like hard work on that back nine. Yes. Um, then we had a couple of days, um, uh, sort of corporate golf. Um, I went to the basketball. Yeah. Got to mention that. Did you enjoy it? Unbelievable, just just unbelievable. Uh, so a friend of mine, um, who's the general manager of JCB over here. It's got a really good connection at Orlando Magic and we got courtside tickets and honestly it was the sort of thing that is making you rewrite your uh, top 10 sporting experiences it was just bonkers really yeah I'm not a, not I wouldn't, I'm not a basketball fan I know the rules but it was Orlando Magic versus Boston Celtic I was disappointed that Larry Bird wasn't still playing <laughs> those of you from the 90s turns out he's retired long as I'm retired um uh, but yeah, it was mega. So li you literally sat on like by the whatever the side of a basketball court's called, touchline, touchline, outline, summit, line, the line, the line, uh, and yeah, just incredible sort of thing of physicality and speed and blah blah blah, and just so American, like so American, like they do the national anthem at the start and massive great big screens with the stars and stripes on, and it was packed. It was genius, absolutely brilliant. Um, and then you lot went to demo day on the Tuesday. We did. And I'd sort of given it the big end about demo day, hadn't I? Told you it was amazing. Yes. It's bizarre. It's just this massive circular driving range. So you can hit from literally every direction to the middle. And there's just brands everywhere around it, like every product you could imagine to like try. It was busy. Like some of the stands you were in to queue for like 30 minutes to yeah, get in. Yeah, yeah. To so, try and hit the stuff. Definitely. Which was mental. We, uh, I got some swing speed tips from Carl Berkshire. That yeah. was good. Which was amazing. He was brilliant, wasn't he? So Carl Berkshire is Berkshire, Berkshire, Berkshire. Berkshire. It still <laughs> is. Well, you don't live in the county of Berkshire, do you? you live yeah, in the he's, county he's, of Berkshire. he's American, isn't he? I don't think he would say Berkshire, would he? Yeah, and they speak English, so they should be saying Berkshire. Anyway, <laughs> it's worth it. YouTube checking. We can right? agree on Kyle. Um. <laughs> So he's like a sort of uh, Adonis of a man, isn't he? He is, yeah, massive forearms. I mean, he made me look like a pre-teen child. It was quite embarrassing. I didn't want to stand next to him for very long. And is he a um, long drive world champ? Uh, not this year, but he won it last year, I think. Right. He's won it twice, hasn't he? 
he was hitting balls on the range and they had to ask him to stop hitting drivers because the range wasn't long enough. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I'm like now sort of been going so long that I've sort of lived through distance games. Yeah. I can sort of remember going in the days of like Nike coverts and stuff and mm. you'd be standing on one side and then a ball would tipple up. Oh, really? Because it is ramped. It, it is ramped, yeah. yeah. But they were, that was seven years ago. So apparently we're gaining about eight yards a year. So surely they should be now flying over people's heads. Like I think he was. He set. was pitching it on the other side. Yeah, yeah. really? Though, yeah, I think. I, I don't think he hit many drivers before. So there was some frantic waving on the other side of the range. So how 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 far does a long drive man drive? It's over four hundred. Yeah, yesterday was playing videos of a four twenty. Total. Carried. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Four four twenty total, I think. They must get it into the four hundred yards. No. Brighton hits it like 360 in tour events. Right. Anyway, Carl is planning on going on tour, is he? Well, he, I, he was saying to um, another podcaster or video guy that he is doing a lot of practice to try and get his game right for tour and try and take advantage of his massive distance. But it's I think you have a, quite a hard time controlling loft, don't you, at 150 miles an hour. Is that the problem? So they can't use their wedges? I believe so. I think they just have terrible short games because to control flight and distance, you have to be soft, don't you? You have to have an element of touch. And I think when you do 10 years of just hitting it as hard as you can, I don't think it doesn't quite transfer very well, does it, to short iron play? Right. And he was on the uh, Cobra stand. He was on the Cobra stand. Yeah, the Cobra stand was amazing. They had a DJ. Yeah, they do it properly, don't they? They do it properly. There was happy hour drinks, two till four. Um, they, had a, they had like a stand where people were watching Lexi Thompson hit balls. Um, they had a, there, was, there was another long drive guy that I didn't know, but he was hitting balls next to Kyle. Yeah. And in your, you were trying to build the perfect human, weren't you? I think you decided that you were going to go uh, Kyle's arms and Lexi's legs. Yeah. I think that would be the optimal, uh, most attractive person. Yeah. So you're sort of doubling down on Cobra staffers. Yeah, definitely. So there's no Bryson there, though. Bryson wasn't there. Unfortunately not. No. That would be a nice one. Yeah. Um, so what other notable things at Demo Day? Any other interesting gazebos that you visited? Well, we actually met the guy who's the head of Cobra Innovation. Oh, right. And we had a really cool chat with him about like what he does day to day and all the stuff they like work on. Yeah. And um, if stuff can actually get better, no one seems to think they can, can they? Yeah. We're going to pod on this, I mean, at some point. I think we yeah, should talk yeah. about that. Like, so he had quite some good stuff to say about amateur rules versus professional rules and a, a good opinion on that to be fair and uh, definitely worth talking about it was really interesting he came up to us didn't he he was um and wanted to chat he said that he doesn't get let out much he's always inside with with the nerds um <laughs> at cobra but he was good bifurcation i'm yeah. practicing saying that because i always say bifurcation it should be bifurcation doesn't it you sounds, need a vowel in the that sounds better that doesn't it yeah Oh, that'll be good then. So he's got some things to say about that. So we're going to do a podcast on that in the future. Were there any of those um, like skateboard things that you can drive around on? These of those. Um, we, we didn't see any cool um, transport. That was a moment in time. Maybe they've gone away then. That was at one point. That was like the future sort of hoverboards. You just well, can't ever seen anyone use one. That's no. probably the answer to the question. You can't see sort of like old Dave at the golf clubs skewing around on a skateboard, can you? Just try, without getting injured. I tried to use one, but you sort of need an incredible core to be able to balance it. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very small target market. I can remember going to Demo Day in my um, first couple of years here, and it was whatever that emoji is where your headset's on fire. <laughs> what, what is that? <laughs> 
Mind blown. Mind blown. Word, just, I just could not fathom it. And like, I think that is the whole thing. Like, we've all been to demo days here or to like a fitting day. Yes. And like, no disrespect, but at the end of the day, it's a gazebo in a field. Yeah. And you sort of think, okay, I'm going to a demo day and that's what I'm going to get there. And it's you get to that thing, and certainly it's like a it's like a sort of whole festival for golf, isn't it? Like just bonkers amount of flags and colours and people and that Cobra stand. Nike used to do that where they'd have long drive people and a DJ and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I don't know, just sort of like all of a sudden you think, fuck me, golf's like a thing. Yeah. You might have to bleep that out. You certainly feel like um everyone who loves golf is there and when you're there you sort of love golf even more, don't you? It's yeah, like yeah. infectious. It's proper exciting, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure we've really explained the scale of it very well. There must have been, what, like 20 beers in the Cobra bit at least? Oh, yeah, there, there, there'll have been 30 people hitting a Cobra at one time. Yeah. And then like, just say... So many people stood watching. Yeah, the same. But yeah, there'll have been over 100 people just on the Cobra stand watching everything sort of unravel to try and... For you to warm up, we sort of did have to fight for a bay and fight for some golf clubs. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's quite, it's like a, what is it, 400 and something yards across in a massive circle. In a massive circle, yeah. So yeah, cool thing, a cool thing. Um, and then we went out for dinner, didn't we? Bahama Breeze. Yeah, that was nice. Saw James Robinson. We did. Saw Mark Crossfield. It's like a YouTube night for some reason. That seems like such a long time ago. They were chatting though, weren't they? Some interesting things to say. Yeah. Uh, and then, what did we do on the Wednesday? Oh, then we had to go do some work. Then we had to go to get geared up to go to the show. So we went, so the show's in a thing called the Orange County Convention Centre. Um, first, I think the first thing would be to try and describe the scale of it. Well, it's like a mile, isn't it, from one side to the other, I, I believe. But what what is a good reference here? Like Meadow Hall? Is that still a thing? Do people still go to Meadow Hall? It's bigger than that, surely. Yeah, it's, it? it's, it's got to be way bigger than that. I've never been to Meadow Hall. Well, the Trafford Centre. Yeah, right, here we go. <laughs> Points of reference at Chabby Shopping. Yeah. So, yeah, if you've ever been to the Trafford set, like an Ikea? Is it bigger than an Ikea? Oh, it does feel very much like an yeah. Ikea. Yeah, well, it's... It's like a little booth, like room thing. You so. sort of have to, have to imagine that if you set off from one wall and start walking in a straight line at a normal pace, it would take 20 minutes. It's massive. It is massive, yeah. And to, to sort of... Combining the fact that we were in the media centre a little bit as well, it was an absolute colossal amount of walking. And it's on multiple floors. Yeah. We uh, were in there for a full day before we even found the apparel section. We yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was nearly yeah. the same size as the other half yeah. that we've been in. We were sort of saying, oh, this isn't even that big. I don't know what everyone was talking <laughs> yeah. about. And then there was the other half of the convention centre <laughs> full of apparel. So that was quite embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, one thing we, we should probably get the scale across of it is that on the app, it's got its own sat-nap, hasn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's quite an indicative thing for me because I don't think I engaged with the app for a number of years, but I'm now sort of more embedded into not using the app. Mm. So I did quite enjoy that. TaylorMade used to have this enormous thing at one end. They'd like to like, take a thing that was basically the size of the apparel section. Right. Um, and one year, Callaway had an app. I don't know, we, did Callaway used to have a putter called a tank? Yes. Yeah, so they had an actual tank tank of their stand. Amazing. Uh so yeah, but they were back in force this year, and I think one of the things that's changed is the launch monitor stuff, isn't it? So you were, you went off to see um, Foresight and Top Tracer, didn't you? Oh, all, all the um, all the sh- sort of home use and professional use launch monitors were there, and basically set up. Everyone had their own bay where you could test all the gear. Um, 
it was really good. Well, well the, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? There's like massive indoor heating bays in just different segments well, yeah. of the. Uh, it was the first time they'd had a full indoor range in there. So Top Tracer had like a what was it like six bay full range? Well, I think just it, yeah, shots. Maybe it was really weird just hitting shots into a net. That's like a thing in America, though, isn't it? They have loads of indoor places you hit golf balls. Yeah. And you just, like, I was very stressed about my golf ball going through the back of the net. And it was like 50 yards long and then hitting the wall with targets up on the wall. It was really good. It's just, America's just so uncompromised, isn't it? That's the thing. Like, everything is big enough. There's enough space. Like, yes. the roads are wide enough. The footpaths are wide enough. The hitting bays are wide enough. Yeah. The portion sizes are, what, are big enough. Like, everything's just the right size. Let's not talk about the drink sizes. No, some things are probably left best unpodcasted. Uh, so what was the what was the sort of the best new thing that you saw? So we've kind of covered uh, Paradigm Road to and all the rest of it to death. So what was the what was the best new thing that you saw that you hadn't seen before? I would, I think uh, did you come across the put view stuff, which is where they have like scanners on the roof that scan the like topography of the ground and then can then they use lasers to then show the lines and produce the reads and stuff so basically it's a really good green reading tool right for who i didn't see that name. um well i think they i think they do it a bit on tour and um, but they also do it in like indoor studios so if you had like a 20-foot putting green in your in your studio and you wanted some slope this machine would scan it tell you exactly how much slope was there and then would like laser down and show you the different breaks from different parts to different holes. It's pretty unreal. It was amazing. And then they've got they've got this new thing, which are the put view glasses, which are basically just like VR goggles you put on, which scan the ground and do the exact same thing. Um, it's like absolutely mind blowing technology. It's ridiculous. Like you literally put the glasses on, look at the put you're about to hit, and it would give you then like a shot tracer line of the line you should hit. It was just bonkers. Sure. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah, really. Amazing. It sounds hashtag non-conforming though. Oh yeah, but, uh, so I don't, you obviously couldn't use it in tournaments, but it's a great exercise. Uh, to be honest, I think top players take it to events. I've seen Polter doing a bit with it. Really? Where to, if you know where the five is going to be over the four days, you could sort of hit a load of ports and it tell you exactly where to aim. They need to ban that. You can't be doing that. I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how much they can use it, but I've certainly seen him using it. Right. Um, Phil Kenyon has been a bit sort of behind it, I think. Right. Um, so really good. That was like crazy tech that we couldn't get the ball off it. We the had biggest to... stuff was probably like practice and coaching stuff, wasn't it? Because obviously we'd see most of the hardware. Yes. So there wasn't just suddenly going to be like a random driver that had not appeared before. No. But like the top tracer range we went on was really cool because they brought loads of new like games out that you could train with when you went to practice. Which seems simple, and like you see them sometimes when you go practice, but you don't think to actually do them. We literally did each one, and it made you focus like so much more. So for people who are like practicing at the range all the time over here, and are just like in that mindset of beating balls all the time, there were some really cool games that you could do, and um, you could get handicaps on it, and you could send the scores to your coach. Yeah. And um, so you like a lot better ways to actually practice. Yeah. I guess we saw that with like shot scope as well, because. They were bring, not bringing out a new product to the show, but they were bringing out a coaching platform where all the users who have like their watches or the GPSs that collect the statistics can now like share that with their coaches. There's quite a lot of cool technology in that sense in terms of like improving your game. Yeah, I think that uh, gamification of uh, 
practice is like an actual thing in it. Like I've started taking my kids to the track run range here at Reading and it just makes such a difference. Yeah. Like and Wyke over the road have got a uh, top tracer. Uh and it's it, it's just it just makes it a thing on its own, doesn't it? I'm gonna go and it's it's definitely better for for golfers because it stops them, as you say, hitting balls. You can play courses and you can do these challenges. But what was really good about the top tracer thing was like your coach can set your games based on your results in the tests. Got you. So it's like basically like setting your homework. So if, for me, I could if someone I know practices at White quite a lot, you could set all these challenges and then look back at the data before the next lesson and say, well, actually, from 50 yards, you're terrible. But from 80 yards, you're really good. So what should we do about that? It, it, like the level of detail we're sort of now able to get from just practicing is like amazing. Yeah, I think that, that is a big step on in it. And it's it, it's got to help uh, new people to the game as well. But rather than just pointlessly whacking balls into oh, yeah, the field. It's like so much more fun, isn't it? Because yeah. there's, you know, how far it's going, there's targets, there's there's games where you can play against your friends and it's, yeah, yeah. everyone's encouraged, aren't they? It's good. And it's been it's been a long time coming. Like, it, you'd think that the concept of that is like maybe 20 years ago and people have had like kissed a lot of frogs to get to this point of something that's actually kind of working and scalable. Because um, that is the thing as a golfer, if you go into the user top trades, you want to trust the numbers, don't you? Yes. And they're decent. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing you touched on there is this kind of wearable tech and uh, stats tracking, which, again, it's not it's not necessarily new, is it? But it's kind of through past its beta stage and now it's kind of becoming a bit more ubiquitous and more and more people are picking it up. And I thought that that shot scope stuff, like the interface of it, as in the the, um, the app screen and the desktop screen was like an incredible one. Yeah, and I think the fact your coach can see so much of your statistics, like, because they collect so much information, like, literally on everything, like, strokes gained, basically every stat you could physically want. And I also thought it was quite cool that coaches can, like, you can have a team that's your own players, but you can also request players at your club. So, say, you're a pro at a certain venue, you can then show people who are not having lessons with you, you are two shots worse than the people who actually come see me so it's like also a way of getting people on board to coaching as well so there's sort of two big takeaways is this kind of like practice launch monitors so both i guess personal use launch monitors stuff for the range and then this sort of wearable stats tracking technology did you go where are costs there or not uh we didn't speak to them them. no i didn't see them though no um apparel wise anything interesting uh, we saw some pretty interesting shoes. Go on. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Called Bion. By- Bion. Literally no laces. Like it just looks like almost like I don't even know how to describe it. Just like a one piece plastic shoe. Have you ever worn Crocs? <laughs> My kids wear Crocs. It's like a posh Croc. They're posh Crocs. It's um, like the difference between a Croc and a like a fully traditional golf shoe. Like a no. brogue, like a brogue croc. Yeah. A laceless brogue. Yeah. A laceless croc. Brogue. Okay. Designed for golf, on course, off course, yeah. in summer, and also when you go yachting. Right, okay. So that's a Venn diagram of human, isn't it? Yes. Um, we tried them on, they were actually really comfy. They were. And the cool thing was, because of how they're made, they could basically print like any pattern on them. So you could just have like any colour, like any style you wanted, really. It probably won't take off in the UK. Well, I don't think there's many yachtists. 
Well, I suppose there is. Probably, I think there probably is. Um, but I don't think we have the temperature for it. You're supposed to wear them without socks, which is limits quite a lot of people, I believe. You wouldn't certainly wouldn't wear them with plus twos or plus fours. Yeah, and that's means your cankles are on display, doesn't it? Yeah. I guess there's a customer out there for everyone, isn't there? There's definitely. No, the trainer style ones, I thought they were cool. Did you? The trainer style ones, they were well more casual. I'm not sure they were as golf specific, though. No. And what about any new golf balls? Any new golf balls over and above the norm or not? There's been a lot of people trying to make golf balls. Yeah, there? LA Golf, they've released a golf ball. We've not hit it yet, but the game was one. Three. <laughs> one, one, one sleeve. No. <laughs> Are they unloosable? I don't know. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, I think people are trying to, as you say, people are trying to dabble in the ball market, aren't they? A little bit. It's a difficult market. Tough when um, everyone wants to play Pro V. We went to see Bridgestone because they've got like a new fitting thing that's out. They've like partnered with Flightscope and Mevo and made this like portable device they can take rounds different ranges. It's called Otto. Oh, right. I had a dog called Otto once. <laughs> And it basically picks up all your data and then recommends like which golf ball you should be using, which I thought was quite interesting. That is quite interesting. What's that called again? Who's sorry? Who's what? Bridgestone. Bridgestone have got it. Yeah. I think they might have had that for a while. It's recommended. Yeah, it's a new. It's, it's, it's Otto 2.0. <laughs> it's a lot smaller, so they can move it around. They basically said the previous one was so big, like you could only have it where you had it. Yeah. Whereas this one was like. It was pretty small. It was pretty small, like a big rucksack, maybe. How is that different from just a launch monitor telling you what the data is? Different? Well, it's, there'll be some, it's like a program where it uses the launch monitor data and then combine the, the shots you hit combined with where do you play, what sort of flight do you have, what are you looking for for a ball, all those sorts of questions. The so, algorithm spits out the answer. So if, you, so if you've so if if you you been to that show and you're saying, okay, so this you're at the sort of cutting edge of stuff, like you're seeing it before customers are, People are going to be bringing new products to that show and trying to see if they can get it to stick with PGA Pros and the media, whatever else. What do you, what are you going to, what are you saying the trends are over the next five or ten years? What what product will everybody have or will be used by everybody that is kind of just getting going now? Good question. What's the what's the next track map? Other launch monitors do exist. What's the next launch monitor category? Well, it's like cheap indoor ones, isn't it? Like, you can have it at your house. I think it's all about practice. Yeah. I think we sort of, the clubs are good, the balls are good, um, but how you practice and how you get better at golf away from the golf course, I think that's where people seem to be heading down. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what it is, and I, I don't think I saw it there, but it'll be something to do with, it's like maybe it's your wearable tech that tracks your stats better or something like that, something you can use at home. That, that, uses... that market is definitely still developing, isn't it? Yeah, something that where you go play and your launch monitor at home automatically gets the data and says, these are the shots you need to practice, or something like that, I think. It feels like it's kind of infinite things are possible now that people have got the idea. Yeah. Um, I guess it goes back to you and your supercomputer, doesn't it? It's like... <laughs> yeah. It, well, it does with the it, launch it, monitor it, thing. It, so it does, if, yeah. like, they used to cost a fortune and it was only for tour pros and now I've seen it getting to people's oh, homes. Yeah, it's, awesome. like it's amazing. It's, I mean, there's some of the tech you can get, like the Miva or the, the Garmin thing's about 500 quid and that's supposed to be really accurate. Yeah. Rapsodo, they've just released a new sort of at-home launch monitor that they released there. We've not seen it yet, but... I think, to my prediction, is, is Zen green stages or... They're so good. 
but also very expensive. Yeah, they are, yeah. But other people will do it, won't they? And they had like a new... So the Zen green stages are moving green, which you can basically put to any single angle you want. It's the thing you'll see, you see on Sky Sports. Yeah. yeah. And they've now started... They've got a hit in that version, which was what they were debuting there. And it literally moves on every angle possible. So I think that's, again, like that idea that when you go to the range, all you can do is practice hitting off a flat mat, right? Whereas with that, like, it's actually so much more like the golf course because you can practice loads of different lines. So imagine you're at your short tracer range, you're playing the Belfry, for example, you hit it down the fairway and the, the short tracer knows that that's a downslope. And then the mat would tilt so that you actually didn't have to play the shot. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? And they had, like, this weird bit in the centre. So they have, like, a circle in the centre that you to take in and out which is the actual hidden surface, so it doesn't like wear, wear away, so you're only changing that bit. You could even put like sand and stuff into it if you wanted to hit like fairway bunker shots and stuff. Yeah, crazy. I'm doing a right raised eyebrows emoji now. <laughs> um, so I, I went in a different direction for what I was thinking for it. I'm just, but I mean, the hitting off slopey lies thing is obviously a use case for it and something they're trying to develop. Yeah. To me, like the putting thing, like I think that, if nowadays almost every pro's got a launch monitor, I think almost every pro will have one of them. They'll get cheaper and it just is like a, it's such an important part of the game. It's hard to practice in winter because the greens are rubbish and you don't get, and they're all bobbly and yeah. blah, 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 blah. I think that they, they're they onto something with that um, and it's funky in it as well. Yeah, it was cool. We spent a lot of time there, didn't we? Trying to film you knock one putt in. Took ages. Come on. It's, I mean, it's literally on Instagram. That was the 89th take. Sure. I reckon it was my sixth take, and it had about eight feet of break. <laughs> and it was stimping at 11. Um, so it was cool, wasn't it? And then you wrapped up the week with uh, some... Chris Paisley. With Chris Paisley, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Oh, like, no, no. I'm a short game there. Again. So it's quite... That's Jack about it. The quite... Um, the thing with Nona is, Lake Nona is, it's very private. So the, the whole experience starts when you get to the gate, and if your name's not on the list, they don't let you in. So that was pretty cool. If your name's not down, you're not coming in. Exactly. You're not enough to remember that. Um, That's from like a dance track in the 90s. No idea what you're on about. Um, it's like Ebenezer good, isn't it? So it, we, we got the nod from the, the security person, which was great. Went straight in, um, met up with Pezo, who... Took us over to the tour player practice ground. It's like he's like my pal. It's like he's my mate. I feel we're pretty close. It was an intense hour. He drove us around to the tour player practice area and then we filmed an hour's worth of short game content, um, which was absolutely amazing. And he is basically as good as it gets on DP World Tour short game stats. He's been like basically top five for putting a short game pretty much his whole career, like every year on the DP World Tour. Yeah, some of the shots he hit were absolutely filthy. And uh, we're getting these edited for YouTube, are we? There will be a, a, a short game series, yeah. It was really good. Sweet. Right. That's that then. Yeah. That is a week at the PJ show in 45 minutes. It's quite good. What do we miss? Lots of uh, pale ale and chicken wings, basically. Yeah. The food. The food is pretty random. There's... A few beers, a few beers went down. Yeah, it's never that. Right, thanks very much. See you next week.